Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Gowerback was still there, of course. And they had great players. They had Cowens and, as you mentioned, JoJo White. They, you know, they had Havlicek. great players. I think Havlicek played a little with Russell, but there he were did. guys who he never played like with Russell, and they were great players. And Auerbach was at a practice, and uh, these guys were talking about how great they were. And Auerbach allegedly says, this is how I ended the piece, if Russell was here, all you sorry bastards wouldn't have a chance. <laughs> so... This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. And as we had a chance yesterday to reminisce about Bill Russell, which we will do again today with Bob Ryan, we now have a chance to reminisce about Vince Scully, who apparently died overnight at age 94 and had one of the greatest runs of all time, and we will get to that in a second. We'll certainly talk to Richard Justice and Bob Ryan about Vince Scully. Um, Led Sports Center this morning. 7 a.m. Sports Center led with Vince Scully. Started when he was 22 years old, finished when he was 90. You think that's a good run? <laughs> it's pretty good. 67 years of broadcasting for the same team. Uh, a couple of things to start with. Summer schedule. It's going to be a bit random. Some weeks we'll have two shows. Some weeks we'll have three shows. We won't necessarily have Monday shows. But, you know, you get podcast alerts on your phone and says uh, an episode has dropped. And then... If I decide I'm just going to do it in the evening, I'm just going to do it in the evening because I like doing it. You know, sponsors may not be around, but I like doing it. That's one thing. Second thing, I went through this bottle of Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon, which is aged at sea. Somebody sent it to me. Oh, you were able to find it. It's aged in barrels. I found it. Yeah, it was back deep in the right-hand corner. Nobody stole it which is what I always think, of course. Um, <laughs> only accused a few people. So it's aged at sea. In other words, they put the bourbon in a barrel, and then they take a cruise, I guess. And when, when they come back, it's ready to go. It's very good. It's very good. Yeah, I mean... Salty? No, it wasn't salty. Um, maybe they were not on an ocean. Maybe they just cruised a lake where they didn't have natural salt, or they weren't in the Himalayan mountains for the sea salt. <laughs> I don't know. Um... Soto, he's gone from the Nats. He's on the Padres now. I believe I had that on PTI when I said when the Padres traded for Hayter, they were going all in and they were going to make an offer for Soto. So I got that right. Sad. There's a mixture of sadness and anger and disappointment and regret. People I know canceled the season tickets yesterday. Really? Yesterday. They said, uh, I'm done. I will say this, and I know the Nats won last night. I watched the game. They're not going to win many more games for the rest of the year because they, A, don't have any pitching, and B, don't have any hitting. And that's what baseball is usually. You can't run if you don't get on, <laughs> if you don't hit your way on. Um, I wouldn't, me personally, and I love baseball, love the Nats. Don't hate the Nats now, still love the Nats. I wouldn't put money down for a game for the rest of the season. I would not. Would you? Are you got boys and baseball is a great thing to take your boys to. Yeah, so my, fir my first answer would be, I'm going to take some time away from the park. And uh, we've been able to go to a few afternoon games this year. And you just look at the credit card bill the next month. And you're, you're a little bit surprised as you get the ice cream and the chicken yeah. tenders. Well, yeah, but in August, kids eat for free. Yeah, well, it's great. Uh, just saying. So, yes, as sort of a statement of solidarity, yeah, I'm not going to go to a game. And you start to see, for me, I am forever, you know... I look at this move and you say, yes, the, the Padres were all in. And so much of this is because the Dodgers in the 11th hour last year were all in to take Scherzer away from 
Scherzer and Turner, the divisional rival. That's right. And that you had to get. Turner That's what Feinstein talked about the, yesterday. Yeah, had to yeah. Turner added into that deal, so they weren't going to lose on this one. Um, it's it's. I encourage everyone to read Barry. He sort of wrote with the optimism of what you eventually have to look to as a fan. You can be sad now. You can have all those feelings, but eventually you are going to have to turn that corner. And that's what last night's game started to feel like. Uh, you know, obviously that's a small sample size, but you start to see somebody like Luis Garcia, who produces that home hit run, one, hit a home run, hit and you out. start to see like, well, what happens if you start to build an infield around there and one of the prospects and. I mean, it's this, it's this question. You say, you know what Juan Soto is. He's a known commodity. He's someone that when he came up through the minors, he did not have a bed as he was going up because as he said, I'm not going to be here long enough to need it. Yeah. He did not speak the language when he was coming up. And you see him in the World Series. You see what he starts to mean for for a team and a city where baseball is still relatively new. Right, uh, right before the playoff run, you started to see the hats. The hats are the simple symbol that baseball has finally made it and has sort of meshed itself into the city's fabric. And I worry about over the next 10, 15 years, what could have been those Soto years, that you'll start to see baseball fall back a little bit. Well, they could have been the Soto years, but um, Scott Boris, who may or may not be the devil, was not going to make them anything other than wherever the largest amount of money was. Basically, I think it's foolish and I have anger at this and I have disappointment at this, but I think it's really foolish if you're a fan to be pessimistic. You can be angry and you can say in the short term, we're going down the drain. But if you're pessimistic about the team, don't root for it. Don't bother. If you slam this thing a hundred times and say how terrible it is, don't bother rooting for the team. I mean, the entire sort of spine of being a fan is optimism. Maybe not this year, but the Dodgers used to say, wait till next year. Sure. You know, optimism is what you think about. In, in the now, something is depressing, and in the now, there looks like there's no hope. But hope springs eternal, and maybe next year they'll look a little bit better. I, I share Barry's viewpoint, but I will say that I would not have traded Juan Soto. I would not have. I believe you're dealing with a lame duck manager, and a lame duck general manager, and I know you're dealing with lame duck ownership, and I would have, since I had him under control for the rest of this year and two more years, and I knew I wasn't going to keep him, but I would have waited to see what the new owners wanted. I would have at least done that, and I would not have traded him yesterday. I would not. Yeah, I, I look at this and you start to, you think back to the idea that maybe by making that move now, it does allow the new owner to come in totally clear house in terms of that that upper level, um, you know, manager, GM, yeah. all that. You come yeah. back to what we're hearing about the Orioles and thinking how they actually are faster along in terms of their approach to baseball on a large scale and how far behind your Nats have become. They're the worst team in baseball. And you start, it's amazing. But you start to yeah. look at sort of the global economics behind this and you start to say, well, what if the actual pool of potential buyers is a little bit smaller or not necessarily what you thought it would have been mm-hmm. a year, two, three years ago? Right. So you look at the Nats, if you've been a Nats fan, and the people that you cared about uh, in the playoff run and the World Series run. And I'll, I'll start. I mean, I'll go back to Jason Worth. And then bring up other names like Howie Kendrick, which is a great addition oh, yeah, to great the team. Year. Adam Eaton was on the team. Ryan Zimmerman for so many years on the team. These are not star players necessarily. And then you go through the stars. Bryce Harper was a star. Max Scherzer was a star. Um, Trey Turner, a star. Anthony Rendon, a star. Juan Soto, a star. The only person they kept was Steven Strasburg, and I'm not sure he'll ever pitch again, ever. 
Because every time he goes out there, he comes off the mound in 25 seconds. So I don't know. All of these people who you looked at and you loved, however briefly, who were part of the climb up to the top of the mountain, they're all gone in one form or another. And it's so brief, right? Yeah, it's it's easy to look at the Rendon, Harper, Scherzer, Turner combo of the last three years and say, different place, different time, yes. different needs for the individuals, yes. different needs for sort of the sport at large. If you think about Harper and what that big contract meant for players and it, it's easy to say those are all different, but then you look at what you're left with and, and it is that the Strasburg sediment, that that <laughs> is what remains at the bottom of the cup. Yeah. And again, I'm, I am going to be more surprised if he wins 20 more games in the majors, that will surprise me more than if he never pitches again. Because I, I don't think he can get out there. I'll but, move on. And, and, but you also have to throw this against what's happening where you say, well, the Padres seem to have been able to sign young talent that they wanted to. Obviously, you have the Angels and the question of should they or should they not? Should those players go elsewhere? Should they have tested free agency more just because of how good they are? And then you have to look at even what's happening in division with Austin Riley. That's, I mean, a 10-year deal down in Atlanta. And you say... All these teams around us, even even in division, are making the right moves. And, and it seems like you sure. have players sure. who are buying into that, that sure. sort of cultural decision as well. Sure. And by the way, when people say, well, Juan Soto was never going to come back, he didn't like it here. You don't know that. There's right. no indication that he didn't like it here. There's every indication he did like it here. I mean, stop with this. But that's the stop issue with, with management nonsense. where you start to say, it's a business decision. I'm going to trust this to my business manager, my agent. And you start to say, if they're not even going to come back with an offer, then you have to think that you are a it's very large percent away from anything. So when you have fans go like, just go to 500. Trust me, that'll get it done. You're like, no, we're very far off here. Right. Had a lovely day yesterday. Snuck away because PTI, because of the, mentioned this yesterday, PTI was on the shelf because of the trade deadline. So Michael and I and uh, the socialite and Nathan went out to play golf, the highlight of which. Now, you guys played the tips. Yeah, Nathan 7,200 yards. So Nathan, Nathan has a beautiful high ball off an iron. He really swings irons well, I felt. So Nathan, who in his offseason has decided to play golf, I don't know, every, every day. day of the week, <laughs> every decides to push me back. Yeah. New father of three. 7,200 yards? Yeah. Five iron every hole for your second shot. Thanks. Yeah, it was deep. You guys played deep. Certainly Alan and I were hundreds of yards ahead of them. <laughs> Seriously, on a couple hundreds. of holes. Did not see them. Yeah, it was, it was great. Um, but the highlight of the day was Alan hits a good drive. And then has a three-wood, 200 yards coming in. The caddy, Frank, says 200 yards. Alan takes out a three-wood. He can't get there. I mean, he doesn't have that anymore. He, was, he could, but he doesn't have that anymore. Hits it, bounce, 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 roll on the green. One of us is saying, get in, get in, get in. Eagle. Wow. Eagle from 200 yards out. I've never seen that. I've That's... never been in a group where I've seen, I've seen holes in one. I've never seen to that. see it so clearly in tracking from 30 yards away. Yeah. Alan's reaction, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Sadness. <laughs> <laughs> one closer shot to the end of the round. Yeah. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then he birdied 18. He had a great day. Alan, Alan had a great day. All right, one more thing. Uh, the Rumble Ponies did send, in fact, as I thought, the Rumble Pony sent a note. I'm yes. going to read the note. This is from David Sabatka, who is the president of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. 
Dear Tony, you asked for it on air, and now you've got it. A Max Scherzer autographed Rumble Ponies jersey. This was a team effort by Max, the Mets, ESPN, and your Binghamton Rumble Ponies. The Ponies are very appreciative of your shout-outs for the team on PTI. Please come by the stadium to say hello if you're back in the southern tier. Your alma mater has a visit-worthy new baseball facility. Some, an unknown donor donated many millions of dollars to build a baseball stadium for Binghamton University. That's which fantastic. Is lovely. Please enjoy the jersey, and welcome to Ponies Nation. Isn't that nice? That's very nice. At some point, I'll put that jersey on on the PTI show at the closing segment. I started with Vince Scully. I'll end with Vince Scully. Um, baseball announcers, more than any other announcers of any kind, be, except for news announcers, like Walter Cronkite, the most trusted man in America. But in terms of sports, because baseball's 162, you hear them more often. They are with you in your mind, in your heart for 162 games. Baseball announcers have a hold on you that no other sports announcers have. And Vin Scully did it forever. He was 22 years old when he started with the Brooklyn Dodgers, when Red Barber was with the Brooklyn Dodgers, not the New York Yankees, in the era of Red Barber and Mel Allen and Russ Hodges in New York and Bob Prince and Harry Carey and all these great legendary announcers from all over the country. Um, Scully was great right away. Everybody knew Scully was great. He broadcast all sorts of sports and he broadcast national games as well. But it was the Dodgers that he's associated with and rightfully so. 67 years of broadcasting and never slowed. You know, never stumbled, spoke beautifully, spoke all the time. He was a friend in your ear at all times, which is the most important thing that an announcer can be. There are decades and decades and decades of Dodger broadcasts. He is, the Dodgers issued a statement, and, and it's no different than mine, that he is as ingrained in the fabric of the Dodgers from Brooklyn to Los Angeles as Jackie Robinson and Sandy Koufax and Kirk Gibson, and Clayton Kershaw. He's, you know, if there's any statuary to them, there ought to be a statue to him, and maybe there is. Maybe there is. Um, he is the generally considered the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time. Um, and even at the end, when he, I saw the clip today in 2016, his last game, he was as filled with life and energy as anybody you've ever seen, and he was in his late 80s. At that point, I always thought that the phrase, the dulcet tones, was coined just for Vince Scully. We'll be back. We'll talk to Bob Ryan and Richard Justice. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a song called Haven't You Fallen in Love With Me Yet? It is Billy Coulter doing it. It's sent to us by Ronnie Newmeyer. Billy will be one of 50 DC performers appearing at the show, a Bandhouse Gigs tribute to WHFS. That is this coming Saturday in three days. 
at the Warner Theater. The show will pay tribute to many of the artists that the Freeform Bethesda radio station champion and helped break in nationally in the early 70s, including Bruce Springsteen, Bonnie Raitt, Little Feet, Electric Flag, Steely Dan, Emmylou Harris, and more. And um, it says I should probably explain to the kids what Freeform FM radio was. <laughs> There's no radio anymore from Ronnie Newmeyer. Plays in Bob Ryan, the quintessential American sports writer. I'm going to take two minutes of Ryan's time to do this. This was sent to us on May 14th, 2022. Frank Kelly from Situate Mass here. Tony, you pronounced it right the last couple of emails you read, be it a couple of years ago. But Friday's conversation with Bob Ryan reminded me of a DA moment from the past. It's December 1979. I'm in my first post-college job in the middle of the Jimmy Carter recession. Tending bar in what would now be called a quaint seaside dive, but what we referred to as a bucket of blood on Nantasket Beach, the South Shore's answer to Rivera. The Celtics are playing the Lakers in L.A. It's a Friday night. It's the first meeting between Larry and Magic as professionals, so CBS is showing it as its late-night game on the East Coast. It's getting near closing time, and the five or six customers left and me are watching the game, and one of the regulars says, I can't believe the Lakers did that. Took Baylor's number down from the rafters for this kid. And I say, no, Baylor wore 22, not 32. But this guy was so sure he was right. He took out 50 bucks and he said, I'll buy a round for everyone. And you keep the rest, Frankie, if I'm wrong. Being this is 1979, way before Google or the Internet, I say, who do you trust for the answer? And he says, Bob Ryan. I said, OK, grab the phone, call long distance information for the forum, call there, ask for the press box, get the box, ask for Bob. And the person says, he's sitting on the floor. I'll transfer you down. As we are watching the game, we see Ryan get up from his seat. <laughs> Walk over to the press table and pick up the phone. Hey, Bob, I'm calling from Al's in Nantasket, and you need to settle a bet. What number did Elgin Baylor wear? And Bob says 22. I have him repeat it for the other guy who handed me the 50, big money in 79. <laughs> I thanked him and gave him the news that BC had won a big game in the MSG holiday tournament that night. The Rick Kuhn, Jim Sweeney, Henry Hill, Goodfellas BC team. <laughs> we hung up and saw Bob go back to his seat on press row as the ball was brought up the court. Best $40 tip I ever made. How much of that is true? How much of that, Bobby? I have no recollection of any of that. Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic. I, I, I'm not refuting it. I, I just don't have any recollection of that. I'm listening to this. I'm, I'm spellbound. I'm, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That's what good listeners do. <laughs> but I'll take do. credit. I'll happy take credit. Yeah. Fine. You should do that. It's just lovely. So I was going to ask you about Russell. I'm going to ask you about Russell, but let's start with Scully. Um, let's start with Vin just, Scully and your impressions of him over the years. Well, I grew up in New Jersey, as you know, and, and I remember him uh, as the Dodger, voice Dodger, the Dodgers, WOR. That, so I was introduced to Vince Scully at, at, as one of my uh, youth, uh, and um, so I go that, back that far with him. I, I can only add to what I'm sure is going to be an incredible uh, collection of, of tributes from people who knew him, which I did not. I had met him once or twice. Uh, but uh, it, it, by acclamation, he's the greatest basketball baseball broadcaster of all time. I think there would be few dissenters, and there are going to be few dissenters. That's going, he's going to be this gold standard for, all, for eternity. I just tweeted uh, myself something which I, I recommend to people, not because it's my tweet, but because it's what I recommended, and that is he, it's available in print. I know it's in the Fireside Book of Baseball. I, I bet it's in print online easily. Get his call of the ninth inning of the Koufax Perfect Game in 1965. Uh, and, and think that this man was just speaking off the top of his head in a poetic fashion 
rising to the moment as, as we, you, me, anyway, we would only dream that if we were placed in that circumstance, we would be able to, to receive the moment and give it justice. Vin Scully naturally did that. And it, it, you'll never hear, hear better broadcasting or read the script of better broadcasting in baseball than what he did in that game. And, and that's just one game for him. Um, but he's the, he's the gold standard. I will agree with that, and in, in, in particularly, and I'll underline it in this way, I've never met any broadcaster wh- where I've had a discussion about baseball who did not pay tribute to Vin Scully. <laughs> I mean, everybody thinks he's the best. Everybody. And, oh, so. and, 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 and apparently, as far as I know, was extremely well-liked as a person, that he was gracious, yeah. he was not imperious, he was, he was, you know, he knew who he was, but he... he you know, he, he was a, a, a gentleman, quote unquote. How about that? And, you know, so, yeah, you know, we, we're, we're in Boston. It's uh, we're proprietary a bit. His his debut as a broadcaster came at Fenway Park as a substitute football announcer in 1949 when the late, great Harry Aganis was playing for Boston University. And he was broadcasting from the roof of Fenway Park. And, and, and this, this will be, uh, I'm sure, all over the Boston papers uh, today. But that, that, that is a fact, not a, not a, not a uh, myth. Didn't know that. Right, let me shift over yeah. to Bill Russell. Um, Wilbon and I were talking about this, and I, of course, watched Bill Russell play many, many times when I was in high school and college. But I never covered Bill Russell. Your first years at the Globe, did you actually cover Bill Russell as a player? No, my... No, uh, he retired on May 5th, 1969 in the famous balloon game in the forum, and I started the beat the following October. I did not know him until he was the coach of the Sonics. That's where I met him. And, and then uh, I, I got to have a, a nice little you know, acquaintance for a short period of time in the 80s when he was broadcasting. And and uh, I and um, that's that's that was my connection with, with Russell and I, I used him as a source for some stories at the time. One in particular, I remember I, w- I was uh, obsessed with giving tribute to uh, Maurice Cheeks, and I and I remember using Russell as a as a, a source and telling me what he thought of Maurice Cheeks. But anyway, and there were other stories I wrote where I cited and quoted Bill Russell. Um, I I, um, I had some some uh, and my last encounter with him, you'll appreciate, it was a month after. Wilt died in 99, and Russell was mm-hmm. in Boston. He came to a Celtics practice, and, uh, and he told me, uh, you know, they set the record straight about his relationship with Wilt, which was that and, and after the frosty period following that 69 game, when he criticized Wilt for coming out of the game, um, they hit it off very well, then resumed the friendship that had begun way back. And he said, we spoke weekly, if not mon- monthly, if not weekly. And I said, can I ask you, do you think you were two of the members of an exclusive two-man fraternity? And he said, yes, that's exactly right. Um, anyway, so that's the last time I spoke with Russell. That was in 1999. So I don't know Russell. Um, I watched him. I don't know him. Was he, to your knowledge, well-liked by teammates all the way through? Was he petty ever? Was he you, uni- always universally, just, you know, universally hard work? Liked universally liked. In fact, there was a wonderful story. Yeah. I'm so glad that my uh, Globe, uh, Adam Himmelsbach, wrote yesterday because I thought about it at the time. Uh, Rick Weitzman was a player from Northeastern University who was the 10th round yeah. pick in 1967. Yeah. Russell was the coach. He, Rus- he, he made the team. He's, he, he Russell befriended him in a way that has blew uh, Weitzman away. 
they they went they rode to the road games together. They dined together. They he sent uh, and he they just hit it off. Whiteswing just couldn't believe it was happening. He he speaks. He, Ricky's still with us today. He's seventy four, and uh, and uh, this is Russell was loved by all his teammates. He was not uh, in any way petty. He was not. He was not. He was a loved the team. Loved the Celtics and loved his teammates. Absolutely. There, there are no. I I never heard a, a, any yeah but in that regard, Tony. Never. And and his achievements are spectacular. I, I mean, basketball. You, you can. I'm not going to use the word ultimate phrase, ultimate team game. But in basketball, you got five guys out there, and if you make the other four guys better, you're really doing your job. And I, that's what I always thought about. At, at in the end, Bobby. In the end, Russell's teams always won. They always won. Um, I'm, <clears throat> and just so people who might need to be clarified, I'm underlying what you just said. From 1955 until 1969, Bill Russell's teams competed for 16 separate championships, two NCAAs, a gold medal in Melbourne in 56, and 13 NBA championships. His teams just happened to win 14 of those. And, 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 and one of them in 1958 in the finals, he was injured. And, and only those in St. Louis uh, were delusion, delusion enough to believe that they would have beaten the Celtics that year had Russell not been hurt. There's some I, little no. more than a coincidence that those teams all won those games, and Russell was the, the link on, on all those teams. Yes. Then in my other favorite number, which I'm proud to say I came up with, uh, which is that in 21 winner-take-all games, which means every NCAA game, every medal round game in the Olympics, and every best of five and every best of seven, Bill Russell was 21-0. and 0. It is an unmatched record of achievement in, in American sports history. Here's what I, you know, I, we are all struck, I'm sure, by the fact that Cousy remains. Bob Cousy, I believe, will be 94 years old next week, one of the greatest next, next week. basketball that players of all time. And is associated, okay, next week, as associated with the Celtics as Bill Russell is associated with the Celtics. Did they have any struggles? Were they pals? No. Did Cousy understand that what Russell brought to the team w- was the thing that put them over the top? Or maybe it didn't. Maybe they were at the top before well, Russell. It's a very good question, and, the, and, I, and I do have the answer. Uh, Cousy has lived with profound regret that he did not do, in his mind, a better job of, 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 of using his position to help Russell get through the, the, the turbulent times uh, that he faced as a, as a black man in Boston. And Gary Pomerantz has written a book called The Last Pass, and it came out a couple of years ago. I highly recommend it. And it is Cousy's uh, mea culpa to Russ and tells the story about how he, he, he finally got up uh, and, and uh, wrote a letter to Russ uh, several years ago uh, to apologize for not being better, being a better friend, a better helper. And, and, uh, and this is the genesis and, and, and the book. And, uh, it's his, and Russell finally he called him up, and, 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 and they got a chance. Kuz, got a chance to make up. Yes, and Kuz, of course, is extremely intense, extremely uh, um, emotional man. Um, he took this to heart very seriously, yes. He, 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 uh, so to answer your question is yes. Uh, Kuzi regrets that he didn't do a better job, mm-hmm. but he should have used his celebrity better. Uh, and you're right, Kuz is 94 in 100% possession of his mental faculties, by the way. And, uh, and, and gave an interview to somebody I, I was able to put in touch with a couple of weeks ago. And this young lady from The Ringer uh, uh, who interviewed him was astonished at his memory. Uh, it's all about the State Department basketball trips in the 50s and 60s. And he had a great detail for her. He, he, he's still 100%, thank God, 
uh, you know, in, in, in possession of his wits. Is he the last yeah, of the great thing. players from the 1950s? Bob yeah. Pettit. Bob Pettit, uh, who was quoted, uh, um, you know, he's reached and he's had, he's had his say on Russ. Uh, I just want to say one thing about Russ, the, the, the flip side, the person, because this is, this to me, it, it just strikes me as so profound and so succinct and so, and so prescient. Will Russell's stance on, on, on how he lived his life, and this is a quote, and I've heard this from his own lips. Uh, I know he said it to others, but I'm proud to say that in one-on-one conversation, I heard this from his own lips. It is the following thing, quote, my citizenship is not a gift. It is a birthright, unquote. And by that, he meant that he did not need the validation of white America to do anything, be it eat, sleep, uh, travel, or, or vote, or anything else, because as an, born in America, he's an American as much as, as anyone else. And, and that's the credo by which he lived. And, and, and um, it, I, it, that does not say it all in, in a few, very few words about you know, what it should yeah. be about for every, everybody, black, white, Asian, whatever. Yes, it's, it, it should be. It should be the credo for it is. That's what I'm going to most remember about Bill Russell. So, you know, basketball for as long and as well as anybody ever, because the professional basketball game was basically in our lifetime. I mean, it was invented a little bit before, but we've seen just about all of it. Yeah. I don't know where one puts Bill Russell. I mean, I'm I'm saddened when people talk about LeBron James and Michael Jordan in ways that exclude Bill Russell. I think it's insane. I just think it's insane. I mean, Bill Russell's resume is greater than theirs. It's far greater. The resume, right? And then because what people tear apart is they say the game was different and the competition, the, the athletes weren't as good, blah, blah, blah. And there's a couple of ways of looking at that. Yes, it's harder to win a championship now because you have to go through more rounds. There's more roadblocks. The other way to look at it is when you only have eight or nine teams, you have a compacted, uh, the, te- the rosters have the best player, more percentage of the best players available on each team uh, in the times that you're living in. I'm not saying the athletes were the same, but the competition was what it was. And you have to play against the best of the best and a better percentage than you do today. That is a fact. So that's one thing. All right, let me just say that I'll, I'll try and do it as best as I can. Bill Russell was an athlete far, far, far ahead of his time. As he once told me, I could kick the rim. That's K-I-C-K, not T-O-U-C-H. I could kick the rim. Uh, Bill Russell said, and I quote, I introduced verticality to basketball. I, Bill Russell, introduced verticality to basketball. Uh, before Bill Russell came along in the mid-50s, the idea of a center, his job was with George Mike in lumpering up and down the floor, shooting a few hook shots and grabbing a few rebounds. Nobody blocked shots. I mean, once in a while by accident. Bill Russell made the shot block and the defensive intimidation a personal art form that, that, that did not exist, did not exist until he put it into the game and gave, put the idea in the heads of others, including Will Chamberlain. And he, he did this. And he also did something that 60-some that, uh, years later people are, don't get. He doesn't just knock the ball out of bounds, Tony. The way You know and I know that the great percentage of block shots are knocked out of bounds by a preening big guy, who, and the other team gets the ball back, and they score. So what did you prove? Nothing. Bill Russell tried and succeeded with, to an amazing degree in keeping the ball in play and starting a fast yeah. break. That was his goal. Yeah. Tom Heinsohn told me he used to call it pop it. He could pop it. It was an act of athletic dexterity. No one, and this is a definitive statement, has ever done it more successfully than Bill Russell, who retired 53 years ago. This is just a fact. 
and 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 this is where he belongs, and uh, and the top of any discussion on the all-time great basketball players. Period. And anybody who doesn't know that, well, they simply need to be educated. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Bob Ryan, boys okay. and girls, quintessential American sports writer. We'll take a break. Richard Justice will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Ronnie Newmeyer sends us another song today. This is John Carroll, and his song is called You Gotta Stand Up. John, as well, will be appearing at the Warner Theater this Saturday night, August 6th, in the tribute to groups like Spirit, uh, Neil Young, NRBQ, Bob Marley, Stevie Wonder. John himself, a former Grammy-winning member of the Starland Vocal Band. Wasn't that Afternoon Delight? Starland that is Vocal Afternoon Band? Delight, yes. And has also written hits for Linda Ronstadt and Tom Jones. This is called You Gotta Stand Up. It's by John Carroll, and it plays in Richard Justice. Um, I, I certainly want to talk about... Uh, all the things that happened yesterday in terms of trade deadline and and the repercussions of Juan Soto going to San Diego, but you got to start with Vin Scully. I, you know, I did not know Vin Scully. I'm not sure that I ever met Vin Scully. I think Bob Ryan just said he met him once or twice or, or maybe. I'm not sure I have. Uh, Charlie Steiner obviously worked with him for years and years and, and once told me that the greatest moments of his life were dinners with Vin Scully. I'm going to assume you knew him a little bit, Richie. Right. Um, his death is a gut punch. I mean, we, you know, he was 94, and, you know, he would talk about having more that he was in, reaching the end of his life, he would tell people. But you just can't get your mind around the fact that there, that Vinny is gone. Uh, David Wharton in the Los Angeles Times has a brilliant obituary today, and he said, Vinny doing games was like bumping into an old friend. He had a, a feel for the game, for the rhythm, that baseball was different, that it was the background noise of your summer, that it was played at a pace that allowed you to dissect the games. And Vinny got better through the years. You, his, his pace was much slower. And his use of the language was just so meticulous. You know, that he, he once referred to a, a, a cheap single as, Humble thing, but thine own. He, he nicknamed Clayton <laughs> Kershaw's curveball, public enemy number one. But it, And if you go back, I think a Columbia University professor has done this, has gone back and broken down everything Vinny said in the last two innings of Koufax's perfect game in 65. You can't believe it. You know, you, you've told stories about Bob Dylan wrote this song in three minutes. It, it was so literary and so detailed you can't believe that he didn't have a script. Things like he noticed everything. It was like a war correspondent. Koufax hitching up his belt, mopping his brow, the relievers leaning against the dugout fence. One of his lines was, you can almost taste the pressure now. There are 29,000 people in the ballpark and a million butterflies. And then when he got it, this was the Vinny's gift to every broadcaster, and Charlie would tell you this, he shut up. At the end, when he struck out Harvey Keene to end it, then he didn't say a thing for 30 seconds. This was one of his trademarks. Uh, and it started sort of by accident when the Dodgers won the pennant, I think, in 56. He was so emotionally attached to the players and the team that he didn't say anything when the game ended, except because he, did, he thought his voice was cracked. He was so 
involved, and he realized what a gift it was that you let the noise and the sound, uh, the sound of the broadcast uh, carry you to your own place. And, and but when he did speak after Kofax's, uh, after the, after Kofax got the perfect game, this is what he said: on the scoreboard in right field, it is nine forty-six p.m. in the city of the Angels, Los Angeles, California. Ask Charlie about that. I mean, how did you come up with that on the fly? And when Gibson hit the home run, he, he, I think he walked outside the booth just to make sure he didn't get in the way of what people were seeing and feeling. And he, he came back with, in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. That's, um, it's, and, but beyond that, Tony, he was the most humble gracious person you will ever meet. You would, you would call him and, and want to do something on him, and he would just go, nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about me. And he honestly, you know, a lot of people do this, but he honestly was seen to be embarrassed by the attention. And he always understood that the game was down there on the field. When, when the, one, one more quick story. You know, he told all these stories. He, he, he weaved all these stories about players into the games. But that started when the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles. Nobody in Los Angeles knew anything about these guys. So all the fans, many, many, many fans would bring transistor radios to the game games. And you would hear Vinny's voice, and Vinny would weave stories about all the various players. I once went to a many, many years ago when the Cowboys were in Southern California training, went to a Fernando Valenzuela-Tom Seaver matchup, and you walk down through the stands at Dodger Stadium, and what you hear is Vinny's voice. And uh, it's uh, it's a loss. Bud Selig once told me that in um, he would call the Dodgers' office. <laughs> it's a different era, and has to be put on hold. Because when you put on hold, you hear Vinny's voice. <laughs> That's the impact, you know. And, and I guarantee millions and millions of of Dodger fans and baseball fans feel they've lost a member of the family today, and in, in a sense, they have. Um, he's the longevity and the likability. Yeah, I mean, Charlie always said. It's so great to just go to dinner with Vin. It's just right. so great to go to dinner. Kevin Costner was doing a, for the love of the game. I think they were doing that movie together, yeah. and Costner yeah. was interviewing a uh, Costner. I'm sorry, I believe was interviewing Ray Charles. I think this is right. It might be Bob Costas, but anyway, Ray Charles said, "Could I meet Vin Scully?" And they ended up getting together for dinner. And Vinny is telling Ray Charles about how much he appreciates this song, how much he loves this song and all that. And Ray Charles is quoting Vinny's calls back to him. And there are a million stories like that of people that just adored the man. And the people who knew him best adored him most of all. Yeah. Um, nothing but tributes and a life, a long life, well lived all the way. All the way. I was yeah, saying and, earlier, you know, Richard, that in his last brought, game... Right. He never brought his personal life into the game. Um, it, it, he, he had tragedy in his life. His first wife died of a drug overdose. His second wife, Sandy, a couple of years ago, died of ALS. He had a son uh, who died in a helicopter accident. But none of that... 
he believed that when you turn when you turned on the TV, it was time for Dodger baseball, and that's where the focus should be. I was out. I was at Dodger Stadium in 2016 that last weekend, and um, it was amazing on Sunday to watch the players, Kenley Jansen, Rich Hill, others, come up to the booth just to say thank you to Vinny and have their picture made by Vinny. And when players came to bat that day, they would before stepping into the box, they would turn and tip their hat to Vinny. Wow. And, and it took Vinny a while wow. to understand what they were doing. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then he started to wave back at them. He had an influence. Um, the Dodgers were getting a position in a blowout game, a position player up to pitch one day. One night, and Vinny says on the air, says, you know, you expect something like this from some teams, but not the Dodgers. And, oh, my God, Walter uh, Peter O'Malley called to the bullpen and said, don't you dare. You know, that's not the way the Dodgers do it. So what a life the guy lived. Yeah. I feel silly asking about Juan Soto now being traded to San Diego, but I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. I said earlier in the show, I think I said earlier in the show, or maybe I just said it off mic. I wouldn't have done it. I would not have traded him. I would have given new ownership a chance to make that decision. I have him for the rest of this year and two more years. And things can happen in three years. But he is traded. What do you think about the trade? And what do you think about San Diego now in a 48-hour period getting Josh Hader, who may not be as great as he was, but is still a major league closer and getting Juan Soto? Yeah, uh, first of all, just from a national standpoint, out there today going, look, we had uh, cornerstone-type players, uh, Rendon, Turner, Scherzer, Harper, and mm -hmm. most of all, Juan Soto. He, he arguably is the greatest player to ever be traded when you factor in his age. He's the youngest all-star to ever be traded, uh, a generational player. When you have a player like that, that's a player you don't trade. That's a player... You build the whole thing around. And you say, well, he wanted too much money. Rendon wanted too much money. Bryce Harper wanted too much money. What's the price for now what you have? When you look, you know, and I don't think Washington's a place. I think Cubs, the Cubs, the Red Sox, they're going to sell tickets whether, whether the team's any good or not. But I think in Washington you're still in a, in a somewhat a selling mode in that you need to put a competitive product on the field to have great crowds at Nationals Park. That's what I think. I don't know. You're there. You know more, better than me. I agree with um, that. Totally yeah. agree. And, uh, and so what is the price for letting those guys go? I understand your payroll would have been insane if you had made a better faith effort. You know, I, I, I wonder about some of their offers. Were their offers designed to be turned down? And, you know, we've all known I've owners like that that they wanted to be able to tell the fans – Offer this guy a ton of money. Yeah, but you didn't offer the market. You offered just enough to, to be able to say it's a lot of money, and you didn't get them. And now where, you, where are you as a franchise? Three years. Look where that you've gone in three years. And I would hope there's some reflection today about how did we do this? Was, did we serve the fans? Were we the good stewards of the franchise and all that? I would hope the new owners of the Nationals are different in this way, that there's a clarity in the decision-making process, that there's fewer people involved in the decision-making process, and that you hire a baseball person and you get out of his way and let him make decisions the way the, way the franchises 
in even in at the Yankees, the Dodgers, you have to trust your people. You can't get in this situation anymore. You are starting over, and that probably means starting over in terms of marketing the team and everything else. I agree with you. You don't you don't trade a Juan Soto. He's a guy that changes everything. He changes everything from ticket sales, and he's just such a presence. You know you. Even if they're bad, you're going to go, hey, little buddy, you want to go see Juan Soto? Of course we want to go see him. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's not a proud day for the Lerner family. There are, no, no. Um, I'm not the first person to say this. Sports is not a business. There's a public trust aspect. If you're in sports to make money, you're in the wrong business and because this right. is what happens you win the world series less than three calendar years ago and now your team stinks beyond comprehension i will say that there are certain teams that cannot do this um the dodgers cannot do this the yankees cannot do this they there's too much pressure on them they cannot slip to the bottom and rebuild in this way but the team that you live closest to the houston astros did this how was it received in Houston, and do you think that would be received the same way in Washington? TV ratings went to zero. Zero. Hmm. You, the number they were putting up in the Nielsen book or whatever it is was zero. You go from drawing three million fans to barely over a million. And attendance has never, you know, I've talked about this before, attendance has not bounced back here. They have not drawn three million uh, since then, even though they've been to the World Series three of the last five years. Now, they're drawing 2A, 2-9. They're fine. The TV ratings are phenomenal. But you see it in Baltimore. People find they can live yeah. without it. And it's not ingrained the way the Red Sox is in, are ingrained in New England. Even the Giants in San Francisco and, obviously, the Dodgers. Look, the Nationals are not a small market team. What, what, what's, nope. the, what's the population of metropolitan Washington? Is it 5 million now or something? I mean, it's Probably a Probably 4 huge, to 5 million. Yeah, it's a huge, prosperous area. And you've got to operate that way. You've got to operate with a certain swagger. Our payroll went to $220 million. Well, that's the price of doing business. We're going to put a competitive team. We're going to have a full ballpark in August and September. And we're going to be in the mix every year. That was always Mike Rizzo's goal. He, he, I think he told me once, goal was to win 85 to 88 games every year. Because if you do that, if you put your team in position to do that, you're going to win 95 some year. You're going to win 85 some year, and you're going to be you're going to have a shot down the stretch every year. You can't just give up. I, I don't I don't know what they were thinking other than um, we're not going to those those greedy players. We, we made fair offers, um, and they didn't take it, so screw them. We're going to get rid of them. Uh, they're all gone. I mentioned this earlier. The only yep. one that remains is Strasburg, and I said, Richie, I don't know that he will ever pitch again. I mean, he's, he's, that's right. You know, that's yeah. all they've got. Yeah, There's, and you, man, when the, remember the Marlins won in 96 or 97, and yeah. Sold off everybody. <laughs> Jim Leland got the writers together on the first day of spring training and goes, boys, girls, have a good time this year. We're going to be horse bleep. <laughs> and, and that's it. You know, you know what your, your roster is going to be uh, uh, a revolving door of young kids. It's inter- you know, as a baseball fan, it's going to be interesting to see. I always thought the Orioles were interesting the last few years. But if you want to go because they're winning, you're not going to go. No, I mean, there's, 
when you saw it, it happen in Baltimore, happened. it shouldn't yeah. have happened. And you can, I, I get so tired of people making Scott Boros the bad guy in this. You've got to, there is, a, if you're going to own a baseball team, you have to understand there is a market for the top players, and and that the trend, the arc of player salaries is always up. And when you have a Soto or a Rendon or a Bryce Harper, you you have to either play in the marketplace or get out of the marketplace. Now, I, I would hope that that's what the new owner uh, understands, is that we have to get into the 21st century in terms of our decision-making and our, our evaluation of players and all of that, and, um, and that payrolls are going to – you're going to have – Big payrolls and small payrolls, but you have to have a plan. And a lot of this goes back. Why did the Padres trade for Juan Soto? Because they built a great farm system. Why did the Mariners trade for Luis Castillo? Because they built a great farm system. Why did the Dodgers feel confident that they could they could they can go get a Turner and a and a Scherzer one year, and they just kind of sit on it, uh, sit on the, the, their hands the next year? Although they didn't exactly do that. They have great drafts, and the one thing you would say about the Nationals, you haven't had great drafts. I think their their, their farm system was ranked 25th, and and that's the only way. If you, unless you're the Yankees, and and you can't win championships, you can't buy championships in baseball anymore. And when you look at what the Padres have done, the, all the players they've acquired, uh, it's it's a combination of drafting players, it's a combination of trading for players, and then when you get to a certain spot. You spend money. You spend money on a Machado or a Hosmer or whatever you need to do. But um, um, there will be lots of, you know, what's like today you're talking about the Nationals, okay? You, you, you know, you're, you're, you're doing yeah. the obituary of it. But there's going to be a point, maybe not you because you're, you're totally invested. There's going to be a point where people stop talking about them. What has happened to the Washington football team? I don't even know that people, people have just sort of, no. Like, yeah, whatever. Okay. I would let they don't know care. when you're good again. They, they, they don't care. In my right. lifetime, I have never seen two cities with franchises that meant more to those cities than the Denver Broncos and the Washington old name. Right. And here now, nobody, you don't see it. You don't see it. You don't see right. anyone physically identifying with them with shirts or hats. They don't care. Their stadium on Sunday is filled with however many people are there. 70% of them are rooting for the other team. 70% of them. And that can happen to the Nats. That can. You're going to have a generation of fans that don't remember when they were great. You know, when I, when I covered the football team, uh, had a, a cop comes to me one day in a seven-day span. In seven days, they had beaten the Eagles and the Broncos. That qualifies as a pretty good week. And he goes, the cop comes up to me and goes, I hate this team. I hate this team. They're driving me crazy. And I said, well, I mean, they won both games. He goes, yeah, but the third down conversions are, are terrible. And that, you know, like when I was there, it was so love and hate were so close. People were absolutely obsessed with the franchise and they couldn't yes. figure out where they, you know, in the standard Gibbs put the team and the franchise in a spot that the standards are so high, <laughs> you, you know, that, that it just was an obsession, but it was a beautiful obsession. Uh, the church I went to in silver spring, one of, one of the guys every Sunday would do a prayer for the Washington football team, and nobody even thought it was weird. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a, that's about the most important thing we got going. 
They're irrelevant now. Maybe it'll happen to the Nats. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Thanks, thank Tony. you. Richard Justice, boys and girls. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Ronnie Newmeyer and Tom Lofgren, which reminds me to remind you one more time that this Saturday night at the Warner Theater, there's a tribute to WHFS, and Ronnie Newmeyer is running that. You can get tickets to that. Nigel Bethesda Bagel Ad. But we got the bagel sandwiches today. Very excited, Very excited about that. <laughs> it was a great day. All you need Very to do excited. is go to BethesdaBagels.com, for a location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, left my home in Norfolk, Virginia, California, on my mind. Stradlight Greyhound rode it into Raleigh and on across Carolina. That's Chuck Berry. Um, it's just the greatest. It's just one of the greatest songs of all time. Just one of the greatest. He was pretty good, that Chuck. Wow. Thanks to our guests today. Great. They were great. Bob Ryan and Richard Justice, I didn't have to say a word. They were great. Thanks to today's sponsors, MeUndies and Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Do you want the great zucchini update? Yes. What happened? Oh, Made yes. Bootsy's shoes disappear. <laughs> really? A kid participated. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Yeah. Were they excited? Very excited. Uh, there's one, uh, one act that was new to the show. Uh, that I can't necessarily share. It's more uh, toddler potty humor. Oh, okay. Uh, but yes, very funny. <laughs> Good. Uh, Chris McKenzie writes, not that Chris McKenzie. Um, over the past 10 years, I've done a lot of business in the area of the Cane Bay housing development here in South Carolina. Today's the first time I've actually heard the Cane Bay Choir singing the mailbag theme while I was actually driving past <laughs> Cane Bay High School. I'm counting this as my very first David Aldridge moment. Thanks for the laughs. And it says, regards, not DG. <laughs> From Cheeve in Somerville, Massachusetts, somewhat near Rivera. It was great to hear Jason Samino on Tuesday's show, but it threw me off hearing Weather Talk without an update or NHL scores. <laughs> yeah. From Carl in Oswego, New York, upstate New York. I just drove my family to Niagara Falls. We saw license plates from 21 different states, five Canadian provinces, and Mexico. We did not see anyone from D.C. I thought you would want to know. <laughs> but you approve of our new license plate? Oh, your Final license four. plate is great. Oh, yeah. I, I'm 6251. It's tremendous because it's the separation is equal. It's a separation of four, and each step goes down. It's just it's a fabulous license plate. Glad you approve. From Tom in Putnam <laughs> Valley, New York. Which guest do you understand the least? Neil Greenberg, Noah Petro, Carville. Uh, from Andrew Gegenheimer in Medway, Massachusetts. I listen to so many podcasts that I've started listening at one and a half times speed to get through them quicker. Now when I hear you at regular speed, you sound drunk. Please tell fellow little Jordan Francis to eat it. I don't sound, no. You've been fooling around with artificial rates here. From Dave Brown, DB, not DG, we have again won the North Carolina Little League softball 8U state championship. This is a back-to-back situation for us. As the great eight would say, we did not suck again this year. I'm sure Edith Saliza will be so proud of us. Viva la cheeserie. And sends pictures 
of the young girls, uh, six to eight-year-old North Carolina champions. Lovely. Thank you very much. Makes for me think that. of the Tom Amansky instructional video. <laughs> back to back. <laughs> From Patrick Sitter in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I still think Soto will end up going to the Saudi tour. That's funny. That's funny. Maybe if you got that tiger money. That's funny. Wow. Yeah. Um, I will do one more. We'll do one more. This is from J.H. in Herndon. I grew up in Rhode Island watching the Boston Celtics on black and white TV. Yes, I'm old. Not as old as you, but I was able to see the end of Bill Russell's career. At that time, you could watch all the games on local TV. I would go upstairs to bed and fall asleep to Celtics West Coast games. I played basketball in three leagues through the freezing New England winters. I learned to block shots by watching Bill Russell block shots to his teammates instead of swatting it out of bounds. I learned about defense, fast breaks, ball movement, and that basketball was a team sport from Bill Russell and the Celtics. NBA basketball today is pure garbage compared to that era. I don't care what Wilbon says. How would John Wall do during that era? <laughs> Tell Edith Saliza Bob Costas went to Syracuse. I met him once working in the Dome. He's incredibly nice. Eat it. It's really nice. But there's a P.S. You can get discounted Nats tickets at Costco. They're right next to the sea salt potato chips. A real selling point for the new owners. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Who makes you excited, Henry? What's one soda, one soda. Go f yourself, San Diego. <laughs> I've been on my best behavior. Hanging on your every word While I try to win your favor The line between us is getting blurred Haven't you fallen in love with me yet? Haven't you seen enough? You're trying to forget Why haven't you fallen in love With me Are you holding out For someone better Pretty soon I'll be Holding my own I'm not saying it's now Or never Give me a clue before this feeling goes Haven't you fallen in love with me yet? Haven't you heard enough? Is this you playing hard to get? Why haven't you fallen in love with me? My heart beats faster when you're near Talk to you when you're not even here. I don't want to say it first. There's really nothing worse than bearing it all to watch you disappear. Haven't you fallen in love with me yet? Haven't you? 
trying to forget Why haven't you fallen in love? Oh, 
Listen well and it'll tell you not to run and hide It says stand up 